Please note that the contents of Model Mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today on the podcast, I have with me Winnie Wanja. Winnie Wanja is a Kenyan, a humanitarian, and a model for over a decade. She enjoys beauty, editorial, and commercial modeling, and has worked for various international brands such as Coco Lily, Adele de Jack, Giamini, and Maybelline. She likes to demystify modeling myths as well as encourage and empower young models. In her other life as a humanitarian, she focuses on monitoring and evaluation of international NGO programs. All right, welcome to Model Mentality. Today I'm excited to have an international guest with us all the way from Kenya, Winnie Wanja. Winnie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you had reached out to us on social media, and I love when people do that and take the initiative and then support what we're doing. And I'm just curious, maybe we can start by, you know, what caught your eye about our podcast and what was interesting for you to come on? I I do modeling in Kenya, and I am also interested in supporting models, especially upcoming models in my country, but uh, of course with social media, this is now international. And I was really interested in seeing what is out there, what kind of content is being put out there on modeling. So that means that I'm always searching on social media, especially what uh, Instagram, um, you know, what, what pages are out there. And I think I saw your, your page just popped up as a model mentality. And I listened to just like a snippet of uh, one of your talks. And I actually uh, went ahead and listened to the podcast itself. Um, I can't remember the first one that I listened to, but most of them has have been really amazing, especially with the guests I've been listening to, the ones which you have with male guests. And for me, I think uh, the one that really struck home, one of the many, was on mental health. And I think that's the one which I reached out on social media about because it's not uh, talked about enough in in my country and I could say internationally and there's a false perception of this glamorous industry and that 
models should be happy because quote unquote, you know, you're getting a lot of freebies, you're getting good exposure, you're getting, you know, all these things that are, uh, are falsely perceived to be good things, let me say. Uh, but we don't talk about really what be happens behind the scenes, what happens to a model like on a normal day to day, how they actually feel about themselves, about uh, how they embody these clothes, how they are treated during castings, during shows, during uh, commercials, you know, uh, come with me. So once I saw your content um, resonate with me, I've been following you guys and yeah, I've been like, this was, when when you reached out, I was like, oh, great, amazing. Like, I would also love to be part of the voice that is um, supporting upcoming models and people who don't know so much about the industry, even if they're not models per se, uh, but creatives in the same industry. Well, I'm so glad you reached out and thank you for following us. I'm glad the content resonates. And, you know, I, you said so many things. So I want to come back to a lot of the things that you brought up. But first, you know, let's talk about you as a model. I'm just curious, knowing that the industry in Kenya is probably very different from the models that we've interviewed and of course, New York, you know, how did you get into modeling? Were you scouted? You know, what was the process that this became part of your career? Okay, um, thanks for the question. I It wasn't really... I wasn't really scouted. Um, for me, I was just encouraged by people around me, friends and family who felt that I kind of fit into this criteria. So I'm five, eight and a half. Uh, and um, I'm quite tall, especially in our family. Uh, in, and, you know, I, I used to be really skinny. Now I'm a little bit bigger. Uh, but uh, in my high school days, um, I was really skinny and really uh I could really stand out, let me just say that. <laughs> I have, like, in a good way, I hope. <laughs> um, so as such, I was uh, kind of just told, you know, are you really interested? And I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't interested at all in doing modeling. I did think of, I, I, I like fashion. I've always liked fashion, but I was thinking more of like behind the scenes, kind of styling uh, as a you know, as a profession, but um, later on, I'm in a totally different field. But anyway, I decided to try my luck. I signed up with an agency in Kenya for the first time in around 2012, I believe. I think it was 2012. And that was when I, I had finished. Um, no, actually, it was a little bit earlier than that. I had finished my high school and I was in university. So it was around 20, between 2010 and 2011. Uh, I signed up with an agency and for one year I didn't get any job and I was just like okay then that's it I, I, this is not for me um, yeah let me just do something else but some inner voice in me just told me okay just try another agency or go back there and then see what they say so I went back to the same agency that I had signed up and uh, so one year had already lapsed and they told me to renew my contract that we need to do new uh, shots, so headshots and uh, just images of myself because I had changed my hair, changed my look kind of. So we did that and that same day there was a casting for extras for Coca-Cola commercial. And I was so excited because I was called for it, but it was such a tiny role. And by tiny, I mean, it was just my hand in the midst of like a thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, fine. Maybe I can do something like this. So uh, one of the people who I engaged with there told me about uh, parts modeling and I had never heard about that. So that's when like you model just like your hands or your legs or just a certain part of your body. Um, and I hadn't known about that. Like there was no much information um, out there on modeling. At that time, I wasn't on social media. Uh, I think it was only Facebook anyway at the time. And I didn't even have a phone which had Facebook or internet. So I was barely researching anything. So after that, um, I decided to just continue. It wasn't like a very smooth journey, to be honest. Uh, I could get like one job in the middle of like three years. But um, in my last probably five years, I've, I've kind of been a little bit more successful in my own right in that I have understood what works best for me, like the kind of modeling that I really like, which is mostly beauty and editorial, and that's what I go for. Uh, I don't find any need to um, like, you know, go for things which I, I know for sure I don't fit the kind of profile that uh, is needed as much as I don't like that stereotype, but it, it is there. So for example, like hash, high fashion modeling uh, requires you know, a certain body size most of the time and I don't even fit into like plus size. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, I think that's been it. It's been mostly locally, but I have worked with uh, international brands for jewelry lines. Uh, I've worked with also one fashion line which is international in Africa. Um, uh, mainly it's actually been jewelry and also makeup lines. So I've worked with Maybelline before and with international makeup artists who've come locally to like do uh, shows or um, uh, what do you call it? Like makeup classes, makeup tutorials um, or master classes if they call it that. So Winnie, in addition to you being a model, all, what you're describing, finding your niche, you also, a few years after signing up for that agency, started to do humanitarian work. So tell us a little bit about that side of your career. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's my other passion. Uh, I don't know which came first, to be honest. Um, they probably uh, overlapped because remember, as I've just mentioned, my I wasn't really in love with modeling when I started it, but now it's really part of me. Uh, humanitarian work. So what happened, I just signed up for a trainee program uh, with an international NGO. And I was completely clueless because this is not what I studied in university, but I thought it's an opportunity to give back, which I always like. And through this, I was able to be taken through different departments in uh, international NGOs and uh, understand how they work. So everything from writing grants and proposals to communications and marketing to um, monitoring and evaluation, which is actually where I am situated and have been practicing for the last eight years. Um, so basically it's been, uh, it, it's not really gone hand in hand to be honest because I have traveled a bit with my humanitarian work in areas where modeling does not apply, like it's a little bit foreign. So it, these are places where, you know, there's a lot of political instability and uh, fragile areas around, mostly it's been around the Horn of Africa. So that's mm. been like mainly Somalia, South Sudan, uh, and like the Northern parts of Kenya. 
So in that context, I don't put on my modeling hat at all. And people who I've worked with even don't usually know that I am a model. It's been a struggle, to be honest. I haven't, I've always wanted to find a way to balance because I always see like this um, UN ambassadors most of the time who are models who have been assigned this as part of their humanitarian work. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think I'm not yet known how to really mix it up. But I think I'm also just giving back by virtue of through my Instagram page, I am talking about modeling in different ways, like about challenges. I, you know, I put up some content um, every other Monday and try to, you know, educate the public, not only for models. So in case, you know, your niece or your uh, child or even your sister wants to know more about modeling, you are empowered with that knowledge. And uh, from time to time, I always, I, I try to have also guests who are models in Kenya talk about their experiences as well. Uh, so I feel like maybe I'm borrowing a bit of the humanitarian aspect from in that regard. But in my actual other work, it's, uh, I kind of compartmentalize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are two distinct lines of work. And I think that's fantastic that you've been able to do both. It sounds like you love both. And, you know, you know, the humanitarian side is near and dear to me. I've been to Kenya and other parts of Africa. I used to do that work before. So I understand, right, wanting to help and give back um, and then doing something for you. So, so speaking of that, you said modeling has become one of your passions. So what do you love about it? Um, I think because I, I feel like I'm an artist in my core, so I love to create. So it's all about embodying something different every time that I have a different assignment. So it could be the same client, but you know, you're always portraying something different. There's always uh, either some emotion that I need to capture. Um, I love, you know, beautiful pieces. I love working with jewelry designs. I it's just an enjoyable thing for me. And it's just not only about the pictures, it's about the experience. It's also about relating with the client and understanding what is their journey in terms of like when they're uh, creating, for example, like those the jewelry line, uh, what what are they thinking about when they're marketing it? What who Who is their uh, target market? Who is their client? How would they like this to be portrayed to them? So for me, it's a little bit analytical as well, but it's just, it's, um, it's in-depth in that I really just want to understand and be part of this brand. Um, and actually on that note as well, I would like to say like, I, I really love to work with brands that I, I myself would be uh, someone who would purchase from them. So I am also very conscious of working with certain brand so just because maybe someone has reached out and it's a good paycheck it's sometimes not good enough for me to say yes to um you know there's a lot of things which are happening in the world and i wouldn't like to be part of uh you know a detrimental cause so uh, I, I really think about what i'm doing it's not only for the sake of creating good pictures oh that's beautiful and you know when you and i first spoke one of the things you talked about was also the difficulties and the lack of standards across agencies, brands, and experiences being a model. So 
what, when you look back, what have been the biggest challenges or surprises in working in this industry? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I'd really like to talk about first that lack of um, some structure in, in terms of like, uh, so for example, in like the agencies that I've worked with, I wouldn't like to generalize because maybe there's one that I know there uh, that is probably working better, but the ones which I've worked it in the past. So this was earlier in my career. So from since uh, 2015, I, I've never been signed to any agency. So this was my experience back then. Uh, and so things might have changed. So at that time, uh, there was, first of all, you needed to pay to sign up. I've seen that also still happening right now. So that means mm-hmm. you pay a fee. It's not a lot of money, but it's, it could be a lot for someone else. So for example, it's about, uh, if I um, equate it to dollars, it could be around $30. And that is like a portfolio fee. Uh, so that means that the the um, agency takes pictures of you and keeps them in their portfolio. So this online portfolio. And then after that, you may or may not get jobs. My main issue with the first agency that I signed up with was this, this agency was one of the first in Kenya and it had a lot of models. Like it had a lot of models in its uh, book uh, of portfolios. And so it was... I, I understood this and actually they even reiterated to me the same thing and when I asked them why I've not gotten a job and they told me they have so many good models but I thought that's really an excuse there should be a way to uh, like classify the different types of modeling models who are there who can do different types of modeling who are available or not uh, you know, the different age groups. So it's it's more about their management wasn't really at par at the, at the time. And then secondly, when I started, so I'm a little bit uh, darker. I'm not like completely, very, very dark. I'm probably like a, like chocolate complexion. There was a preference. Um, up to today, it, it's still there, but at least it's a little bit better now. There was a preference for lighter skin models. Um, and I could see it, it was very visible the first advert that I did, which I've just mentioned about my hand, the models who were chosen to be at the forefront, so who were actually like the faces of the brand, of the advertisement were all light-skinned. Mm. So it was very clear, like there was a preference and there still is sometimes that preference. Uh, and, you know, that is very difficult to crack when you have a client who wants someone specific uh, there's nothing I can do about my skin. I cannot change it. And so that means I move on to the next person. So that's also like a societal thing of uh, beauty standards. And it's not only with the agency, but I feel that the agency has a role to play to also push for the people that they have in their portfolio, especially given that this is an African country where we are not predominantly lighter skinned. I could say it, it's probably a mix. It's probably a mix, but it's not predominant. Um, I think, and then the other thing would be, you know, just educating models. Uh, I did mention that they they told me about parts modeling, but that was just one person. And the only reason they told me about that is because I happened to be in the lobby and they just looked at my hand and told me, oh, you have nice fingernails. You have like long fingers. You can do this and this. But even that being said, I was never given an opportunity to do those types of adverts. And 
uh, they don't educate models on knowing their niche. You see, like, especially like, uh, for example, for me, I'm only, I only did find out what I'm good at because it's what I, be, I was kept on being called for. Uh, and I realized, okay, this is what I'm strong in. This is what I can deliver on later on this, uh, in this later, like five years, as I've said. Um, so it, it's kind of like a lot. I don't know if it was really shocking, probably. I wasn't sure. It was a new industry I was just navigating. Uh, but it's unfortunate because there's no support. You know, you expect them to now support you. When it comes to things like payment, that's also a very big um, thing and I I feel like there's uh, we talked about passion just now and you know your passion can really also be brought down when you're not being paid for work and uh, I've worked on a lot of projects where they, they start by saying we don't have budget for a model but you look at the portfolio you look at the person's work and this person has done so many shoots abroad and beyond and they have budget for a photographer, like a very well-known photographer who has a drone and all these things and they can afford to do shoots in, you know, places where I'm sure they are paying quite a good amount of money. But when it comes to the model, it's like they are not even thought of yet. They are going to be the face of your brand, which is such a shame because you need to think of the model as also a brand because that person is also associating with whatever you're putting out there and so if you don't pay me that will also show in my face if i'm not happy i won't deliver as expected i might just you know say face and just show it but there will be a difference because uh, in in modeling you always you always see like there's such a difference of uh, mood even something small can really change your expression and at the end of the day we want everyone to be satisfied so it's it's just important to always just um, the agency to support you especially when they've gotten that job for you to make sure that your payment is going to come through on time because that's also another issue and at the rate which is um, like a good rate uh, I, I don't know how to explain it but it's like yeah like a good rate which it's feasible for the for the model not to start thinking about, uh, you know, we have instances where models are not paid and you're given freebies and you don't even have transport to go back home. And you probably need to take a public uh, transport and it's probably maybe even in the middle of the night, it's not safe. And it's so unnecessary because the agency knew this, they, they should have planned prior. But um, yeah, that I, I think I could highlight those are the main things which uh, the agency really needs to work on. How often is it that, you know, in your experience, you have not gotten paid? And I ask this because I, you know, one of the previous episodes was with the CEO of Models Trust, Elizabeth Peyton Jones, and she was talking about in her research for a year, a lot of what she found was financial abuse for models, right? People weren't getting paid, you know, were working without proper compensation, exactly what you're describing yeah that's true i listened to that episode and i was just nodding my head the whole time yeah <laughs> it's like it's so true let me tell you um okay for me what's uh in the recent past it's not been that often but i could tell you like in the first uh my first maybe even up to 10 jobs probably i got paid maybe half of them half of them and some of them 
not some actually maybe all except two or three were all late payments and they could be you know i have to really push for my payment as if this person did want to give me the money um there's uh i can talk about one episode of that i was i did a commercial actually it was an international brand a well-known brand uh and the people who were shooting it were from south africa and I didn't want to shoot, uh, do the shoot because I hadn't seen the contract, but everyone was forcing me to shoot. And I was like, no, I want to see the contract. I want to see how much is being paid and what uh, I'm shooting for. Like, you know, you need to know if it's going to be used for social media or print or all these things. But, you know, everyone was classifying me as a difficult model to work with at, on the set. But I'm just like, it's just, it's my right. If the contract is there and I know it's there, this is a brand, why are they refusing to give me the contract? So at the time I had, I, I wasn't signed to an agency, but I had gone to the audition because a certain agency contacted me. So I contacted them and I told them what was happening. And they told me that I'm in the right, that I don't have to shoot. And if they needed to carry on, they would have carried on. But you know, this is after like uh two or three months of doing auditions. Uh, so by the time, you know, they get the person, they also don't want to go back to the drawing board. So anyway, um, long story short, we did the, we shot the advert, but it took me, I think about six months to get my payment. Oh my goodness. And this is after harassing, like I had to like send emails uh, so that I have proof of these conversations. I sent uh, messages, text messages, and the person flew out of the country and when they eventually came back, I had to go to their hotel room to get the money. So I was even like in such a risky situation because I didn't even know if this person is there, if this person is alone, if they're armed, and it was a man. You know, it's one of the incidences which I know are very frequent. I've been DM'd by models telling me they've worked with even, you know, other international brands who give them uh, like lipsticks and that's it. And they say, we are going to pay you. And it's just verbal. So the problem is also the contract is not usually such a standard thing in Kenya. And people, many people, many models especially don't know that it's your right to have that contract. And you can drop the contract yourself. I was also a victim when I didn't realize this before. And I've done shoots which I can still see those shoots in shops and I've never been paid a cent and they've put up those adverts for many years. And it's so painful because people will send you the images and say, oh, we are so proud of you. You worked with so-and-so, but you know, you're just hurting internally and saying, oh my gosh, if you only knew. Um, so it's really common. It's really common. Yeah. And you know what you describe, I mean, it sounds, it's, it's exhausting to have to follow up, to have to beg people to get paid which is your right right it's it's not something you should expend so much energy doing but it sounds like the labor rights are not in place the regulations are not in place the standards are not in place how has modeling affected you psychologically you know the internal what's been the impact yeah um maybe let me start with the financial that i just talked about it was really uh even to date i i do feel a certain pain um and let me give another example that recently, literally it was like two weeks ago that someone sent me my, a picture of mine that I did for some work. I did probably uh, six years ago, but this person has um, 
talked with a photographer and they redid the image and now it's for sale for like $10,000. But I don't get a cent in that. And I'm not even aware that this was commissioned for this purpose. And it's, it's so painful. I'm just like, do I start engaging a lawyer? Do I start following up? I did actually talk to the person who I did the work for because it was um, for a certain client. And he told me that he has engaged his client, his lawyer. And when I followed up again, they said, oh, you know, this the lawyer is taking long to get back to him. And I just left it at that. I, I actually got tired already. I'm just like, do I, the person who did the now this new reconstructed kind of work uh, artwork who's put it up for sale, reached out to me in a DM and said he's been looking for me. But I didn't even want to engage him because I'm like, if you knew me, this would have been a totally different com uh, conversation. But it's so demoralizing because one, we are all artists in this space. And as much as I want to support you, you need to think about me. It's my face which is there. Because I was sent that picture by another model. Actually, two people sent me that picture. Well, I'm an, another model, so it first, and then someone else, so it uh, a friend of mine. And so it's like, you know, you're recognizing the person. You're not even recognizing who has done the artwork. Mm. So it's so demoralizing because thinking like not even one cent is coming to my pocket and I don't even know where to start fighting from. Because at the time I researched about intellectual property rights in Kenya and I couldn't even find a lawyer who could help me in that particular space mm. uh, because I was interested in doing like these um, galleries and stuff, but I didn't want to be vulnerable because I needed to, you know, make sure first I knew what to do. But, you know, the left, right and center people have just been uh, victimized without knowing their rights. And I'm just hoping for a better tomorrow. But it's very demoralizing. I, I won't lie. And, you know, that that's weighing on my mental health, definitely. And I can't be out there speaking about, oh, just continue doing modeling and encouraging people. And yet some people will... Uh, will say that you know modeling pays but when you think about it sometimes it's you know for you to get that payment you might go through a lot and is it worth it I mean for me right now because I am maybe not completely actively just pursuing the modeling for me right now I'm, I'm pursuing the advocacy the um, talking to people about uh, awareness now it's like a little bit more satisfying than just being a victim uh, unfortunately but apart from that you know there, there are also other things that have weighed on my mental health especially on uh, being discriminated on how the, my physique so uh, as I mentioned I was really uh, stick thin like at the beginning of my modeling industry but I mean I'm human uh, I have gained some weight not so much like I'm uh, size 8 UK but then I you know, I've gone for auditions where they've told me you need to lose weight. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I cannot deal with this right now. You know, it's it's probably not even been a good day and I just wanted to see if I can do this um, audition. But it's, it wasn't even like a high fashion audition. It was just, you know, something, uh, another role for commercial. And it's like beauty standards uh, are different for everyone. Um, but, you know, when you get certain clients really driving for certain images and you have 
you know our children our nieces our nephews and sisters younger sisters who are looking up to these people um i have like my nieces who are always like oh you're a model we want to be like you and for me i'm just like go go to school first you know i wish i want you to empower to be empowered to learn to just be fill up your mind first and then this will come later it's not easy and it's not every single day that you will get these jobs uh and living you know paycheck to paycheck in this economy in this inflation uh fields wild right now is really really difficult uh and you see those chasing those payments um weighs on you and again um the demand the the commercials like um recently maybe in the last couple of months I was I wanted to audition for a certain role and I sent a message to someone who I know who works in the industry and I asked them about how much is the pay going to be and what they quoted to me versus what was there like 3 years ago it was like a third and I couldn't understand I was like what what is happening why is it so low why is the budget so low and they said that's that's how it is right now and it's so disheartening because there are some models who will say that's enough money for them but they don't know that it should be more because the, the more people are accepting less the less uh, you know the lesser and lesser it will go which is very unfortunate because we we now don't have any regulations currently in Kenya anyway um for this and that i mean you can't just you can't survive you can't survive and you'll definitely just be thinking about doing other side shows and you end up just doing so many small small odd jobs um like promotions and uh all these other maybe types of modeling but at the same time you might not still make ends meet so how did you get the support you need while you were modeling right because you mentioned this this photograph that you saw you didn't know who to go to or where to even start and the and then the second part of the question is what do you suggest to other models who are needing support and don't have it so to be honest it's still like a continuing conversation i it, it's not been solved or um yeah it's not been put down as far as i know uh, i'm not sure i haven't followed up like of um, the last couple of days but i know it's still up probably but uh i know there are ways to the main way to go through it is of course using the law but that means i have to involve everyone so like the person who we did the work with is not currently in the country and he he didn't sound i could be wrong but he didn't sound as pressed to actually uh work on it like it's it's not really his issue um, let me put it like that because you see for him his brand may not be com- as recognized as uh me i'm not saying like I, i would be um that famous but i'm saying like it's my face that's that's the main thing so the brand is not like there's no logo it's not as distinct it's a piece of jewelry so you might not actually trace it back to him and this person who put it up also uh kind of did his twist and it look it's now more of like a painting than the picture which was there initially so um it's it's difficult to be honest and uh, i'm also trying to maneuver and see what i can do about it so that even when i'm giving advice i can say from a point of i have gone through this and i know this is a solution uh but that being said i think the first thing is also just arming yourself with 
uh, education and just awareness that your rights as a model. And this, I've also learned from international models, not in Kenya, because the problem now in Kenya, we don't have any regulations and we don't have any bodies to look up to or associations on the same. So seeing how brands treat other people, just through my own research, actually, just it's been personal to look at what's in place, but also talking to other creatives in the industry. So mainly makeup artists and photographers. Um, I always encourage people to just be open when you're on set because you never know these people, you'll meet them again. And once you start interacting with them, they can tell you, oh yeah, so this client also didn't pay me. So you can understand sometimes it even it cuts across. It's not only models. It could be also makeup artists facing the same thing. Um, and photographers, but then they also now tell you this is what they put in place for themselves as kind of like a security, and this is how they work from then on. And if the person doesn't uh, adhere to their terms, then that's it, that door is closed. So it's also being firm and being secure in that. Uh, I think there's usually this worry that when I say no to one job, I will never get any job again or word will go around that I said no to this job. And so people will think that I'm problematic or difficult. But if you're in the right, uh, just like the example I gave on set, I knew it's my right to have that contract. And I knew I needed to know, especially the payment terms, because people can decide to change up on you. And you haven't, uh, you might not have signed the contract, but you've seen it physically or even online, whichever it is but you've seen it and you can take a picture of it. You have an image, you have, you can recollect what's, what's there. So arming yourself with that, that knowledge, I think that's the first step. And from there on, you know, hopefully you, you won't get to the point of needing to go to the law because at least you are empowered to know what to seek before you get into a job. So final question, Winnie, um, if you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell people about mental health and modeling? I would say, one, be selfish with your mental health because people out there will not look out for you and you're the only one who knows how you feel as a model. And if you're not okay, it's okay and you're human and be there for yourself. Take a day or two or an afternoon off. If you have a job that you really need to go for, it's good to also express yourself and, you, uh, express yourself and you'll be shocked. Sometimes you may get a supportive environment. Sometimes you will get actually someone who will listen to you and that's probably what you needed. Uh, to let it out, take a deep breath, drink some water, and it's going to be fine. It will work out, but put yourself first. Don't overcompromise. Don't feel that you have to bend over backwards because you're beautiful and God created you that way. Yeah, I think that's what, that's what I can say. Thank you so much, Winnie. It's so important to hear your perspective and I'm so grateful that you came onto the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Ali. It's been amazing and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Keep on doing it. 
Now, let's get clinical. Winnie Wanja describes herself first as a Kenyan and a humanitarian and working as a model. Winnie in her high school years was tall, really skinny, and stood out among her peers. She was not in love with modeling when she began and slowly found her way and her passion for modeling and at the same time embarked upon a humanitarian career working with international NGOs in monitoring and evaluation. She's passionate about both aspects of her work. What stands out to me from this episode is something that I spoke of in depth with Elizabeth Peyton Jones in our last episode, what Elizabeth had called financial abuse, namely not getting paid for what you are owed. Winnie describes in the episode challenges with regard to lack of structure, labor rights, getting paid on time, and intellectual property rights. You may be asking, what is financial abuse? Financial abuse can come in many forms, such as withholding money, stealing money, and restricting the use of finances in a relationship, for example. In this case, Winnie describes her experience with certain modeling jobs as not having the appropriate structure to pay her, and her being labeled as a difficult model for speaking up about wanting a contract before agreeing to model for a brand. She also tells us that she had to follow up for six months to get paid for a job, and she saw her face on an advertisement for which she was never consulted, consented, or paid. All of this takes an emotional toll. If you want to hear more about this aspect of the modeling industry and what changes are being implemented to create a better workplace environment, please listen to our previous episode with Models Trust CEO, Elizabeth Peyton Jones, who is a trailblazer in this space. I can't thank Winnie enough for coming onto the podcast and sharing her perspective as a Kenyan model. I am grateful to have spoken to her and to hear about her quest to empower other models and for her dedication as a humanitarian. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.